You're listening to a teaching from Sundown Church. We hope you encounter God through our podcast and experience freedom in your life. Um, Over the last several weeks, we've just been going through this series and this will actually be the conclusion of it this evening. We've been going through what it is to, and for the world to encounter the sons and daughters of God that have the indwelling presence of God. When they encounter us, when the world that we are not of, but we are in, when they encounter us, what are they left with? What are takeaways from those encounters that they should experience? If it's just for a moment, what, what should they experience? And so we've been looking at these takeaways that they should experience when they experience the kingdom in us. And we've looked at six of them, and this evening will be the sixth that we look at. The first one we looked at was that God is good. And this is an experiential statement. This is something you cannot know. You can say it, but you cannot have the wisdom and understanding of it without encounter. I can go to anybody and ask if they believe God is good, and just like most people uh, in our part of the world, would say they believe in Jesus, that doesn't mean they know Him. They can say that He's, yeah, sure, I believe that God is good, Uh, but do they really believe it? It, Because to really believe something is to experience it, to have your own testimony of the encounter with it. And so we know that God is good. And so this being an experiential statement, something that we have to have testimony before we can know that it's true, We know that if they're going to encounter it in us, I cannot be quick to forget the goodness of God that has pursued me. So we came to this phrase of you can't give away what you forget you have. And we can't give away, we can't give away an encounter with the goodness of God that dwells in us if we forget very quickly the goodness of God that has followed us, pursued us, and been in everything that we've been through all the days of our life. Because there's not a day that we can't see the handprint and the fingerprint of God's goodness in those days. Even on the very difficult days, God's goodness is everywhere. So we have to be quick to remember, uh, as the Lord has instructed the goodness that He has, if we want anybody to be walking away with this takeaway, maybe for the first time believing that God is good, because they just encountered that goodness in the children of God that have walked with that goodness and dwelt in that goodness. The second thing that we talked about is that nothing is impossible. We must, be in, we must be, again, quick to remember the impossible we have seen become possible. This is another experiential thing. I, I didn't know that God could do impossible things until I saw Him do impossible things. People told me He could do impossible things. I thought, okay, cool. But then when I saw Him do impossible things is when I knew. Parker Latimer knew God does impossible things so there is not anything that is impossible for God and it therefore there's nothing impossible for those that are in God I was my friend a friend from college sent me a podcast this week um, and it was he is we had a ministry together in college under Kendall McDonald uh, and with Kendall McDonald and with a lot of his mentorship and now he was being interviewed on Kendall McDonald's podcast for the businesses that he owns, the barbecue business that he owns. And this guy makes, if you're ever in Nacogdoches, Brendan's Barbecue. If you don't go there, you've done yourself an injustice because it'll change your life. And, and as I'm listening to 
this podcast with three men that I've known most of my adult life. Um, And they're reminiscing on these old days and how they've come to the places that they're at. And I'm sitting there looking at the impossibility of how all of these things worked out, that we could all be in the places we are right now and how intertwined every one of those places is. How intertwined with my friend Brendan, who owns the barbecue shop, I was there when he went to Franklin Barbecue for the first time in Austin, Texas, and he had it, and there were 150 people behind him waiting for their barbecue, and he struck up a conversation with the guy. The owner came and pulled him back and showed him everything, and right then and there, Brendan fell in love with that, changed his life forever. I was there for that, and I wouldn't have been there for that if Kendall wasn't there for me prior to the conversation that I just had when I was first starting to go to church in college after all the stuff that I had been through. Kendall had tattoos, and I wanted tattoos. I thought, well, that, I know I need, and it was a prompting by the Spirit, I didn't know at the time, that was saying, you need to talk to this man. You need to talk to him. And I thought, well, he has tattoos, that's my way to get a conversation with him. And that began a mentor relationship that would lead until I would move out here, and Kendall McDonald wouldn't have been that person that I could go and talk to that would change my life had he not been here. And he would not have been here had he not had a father who's a diehard tech fan and sent him to Texas Tech. And then he met uh, a girl, and that girl happened to be best friends with another girl whose dad had understanding of the Spirit of God that no one else had had and was willing to teach a Bible study to a group of college young men. And I'm looking at that, and they're not talking about that. They're just talking about Brendan's business. But I'm listening to these three talk, and I'm thinking, I would not be here without those three. And the impossibility that we could all three be where we are right now, it's impossible. How did this work the way it worked, other than God? And that was just an experience of, hey buddy, that was just, that was just looking at people's stories and where they're at. That wasn't, no limbs grew back, no, no, uh, Dead people were healed or raised from the dead. But a story, a life was changed and several lives were changed. I I wouldn't have met Sarah had it not been for Kendall. And I wouldn't have met Sarah had it not been for Randy. Because Kendall would have never been where he was had it not been for Randy. And had it not been for the people before that would would invest in Randy and, and speak to Randy and give him guidance and give him wisdom that all of this could happen and we could find ourselves in this place, that it would come full circle. It's impossible. No one on earth could orchestrate such a thing. It's the impossibility becoming possible with God. And when we're quick to remember those experiences, even the testimony of how we came to be where we are right now, and we always have this, this saying, and it cracks me up that we say that, oh, small world. It's not a small world. It's a very large one. So for these things to happen are not just happening. It's, it's profound and it's amazing for the things that we have happened where we would use that phrase of small world. It's, it's not a small world. It's a very large one with over 6 billion people in it. The fact that you're finding these things happen is the impossibility of God at work in your life. And so it's important for us to remember that, that they, those could 
people that we encounter could go away with these two beliefs that God is good and nothing is impossible because if God could work all this stuff out for me just to be right here where I am today, what more would he do for them that they could find restoration and healing in their story? Right? And when we remember just the things that he's done in our relationships to get us where we are today, we leave them with that hope that nothing is impossible for me. There's hope for me. There's restoration for me. There's, there's uh, love, joy, peace, all of these things for me because nothing is impossible. And what I thought was impossible to forgive, what I thought was impossible to be healed from, I've just encountered it being possible. When we remember the impossible, impossible things that God has made possible in our life. And then the third takeaway, Jesus has won absolute victory. And I don't know that there is a truth any greater than that reality right there because nothing that has ever been that is significant in our life could have ever been if it weren't for that truth. We could not be in this room right now, this church, this, uh, this body of believers walking in what we're walking in, uh, saying yes to what the Lord is speaking, just having the Lord speak over us. That is not possible if Jesus does not win absolute victory over sin in the grave. But he did. He won absolute victory, and this truth allows for us to be children of that victory. Children that are born the morning after. We don't know what it is. We, we talk about the battle, and I've started to listen to even songs differently when they talk about a battle. I'm like, what battle are you talking about? We don't wage war. We don't have to. The war has been waged, and it has been won. We exist in the authority established as a new kingdom establishes itself over an old one. There's no war that's still being fought. We won. We're now occupying territory because the enemy has no power left. Only the power we tolerate. Only the power we say that it has. But it's like a, it's like a little chihuahua nipping at your, your leg. Or I, I use this example in my, uh, one of my counseling sessions, and this young man has taken it and just run with it. The enemy and his attacks at you see, seem loud and prominent and overwhelming, but it's really just that annoying fly that keeps trying to land on your forehead. And for some reason, you're like, why have you chosen me to be the place you want to land? And we keep swatting it away. But that is the significance of the enemy now because of Christ and his victory. If I really want that, to get angry at that fly, I will. And it will become my mission and my sole focus to focus on it, get that fly swatter, I'm going to kill it, I'm going to do all this stuff, and it's going to consume time. Or, swat it away and go on about my day. That is his power. It's that of that annoying little fly that we're going to get in the summer. That's it. He has no power over us, and he has no power to claim anything from us. It is ours to claim. All that he has and all that he holds is because we have not claimed it. But if we walk into that room and we claim it as the kingdom's, and it now belongs to the kingdom and only the kingdom, he can't do anything to stop us because he has no authority over us. Because Jesus won absolute victory. We're living, uh, we're meant to live because of this reality, foreign to things of this world, bringing those around us into this victory. And what I mean by that, there are things of this world such as anxiety, depression, turmoil, um, anguish, different things like that, that we are not meant to have vibrant and real testimony of. We're not meant to know what these things are. 
Because these are things that Jesus paid a price for that we would never have to experience. It's going back to the video of Graham Cook. If you haven't seen it, it's on our website. Where Jesus has come marching up a hill in this dream that he has, and he comes up to him and he's very scared because the way Jesus has approached him, he's very stern and he says, give me back my stuff. And he kept saying it to Graham Cook over and over to the point where Graham Cook is on his knees in tears, saying, I don't know what you mean. And Jesus begins to articulate, I paid a price for your stress, for your depression, for your anger, for your anxiety, for your turmoil. It's mine. It doesn't belong to you anymore. I paid a price for it that you would not have to experience it. Now give it back. And we take the things that Christ died that we would never have to tolerate. We don't have to tolerate these things. We don't have to live in these things. There's nowhere in this passage where you can say it justifies walking in anxiety, walking in, 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 in depression. And in every instance where there is a circumstance where these things could arise, it prescribes a perfect solution. Be anxious over nothing, but through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. And the peace that surpasses comprehension will come. There is a prescription to all of it. Turmoil is trying to figure things out outside of the will of God. If you step into the will of God, turmoil just finds itself gone. Because you're not supposed to exist outside of the backyard. You're supposed to be in the will of God. And these are all things that we get to experience. We get to live in the world but not be of it. So therefore not partaking in the things that are born and bred within this world when we recognize the reality that Jesus has won absolute victory. And what that means for us, Shorty, you said it when we were talking about it, we're not here to conquer territory, we're here to occupy territory. To occupy means there's no authority to stand against you. You just go and you claim it, period. Because nothing can stop you. And that's what it is when we recognize what it means to say absolute victory. That absolute is crucial. That means there is no doubt who the victor is. And Jesus won absolute victory establishing the kingdom that we could dwell with the presence of God and operate as His hands and feet through each and every day and also recognizing that through all of this we are more than conquerors. And what is more than a conqueror? It's someone that doesn't have to conquer, but they just exist in the fruit of the conquering that has already taken place. We are more than that. We're a kingdom established on victory. I don't need to conquer because to conquer... In order for you to conquer, there had to first be a battle where you might not win. But you had to overcome. That is what it is to conquer, to overcome and conquer that which was set against you. We're more than that. Because there is nothing that can stand against God's elect. Therefore, we are more than conquerors. And they should be left with that. Recognizing that whatever lie they've believed about themselves, they are more than a conqueror. That is not true and it cannot hold and have any power over their story any longer when they encounter this reality and the believer that it carries the presence of it that Jesus won absolute victory. The fourth takeaway, an important takeaway that we a lot of times have a really difficult time believing for ourselves, but this reality that you are significant. And just look at the reality of Jesus and his victory and that proves that truth. Jesus didn't win absolute victory for you to exist and insignificance. But he wanted that you would be able to carry the presence of God. Again, 1 Corinthians 3, 16. God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. 
That's your, there's no arguing your significance after what I just said. Go read, go read about the construction of Solomon's temple. Go read about that. Go read about the entrance to that temple. The golden shields that line the streets on the way to it. And he calls you that temple. Whew. You are significant. Period. And this other reality, if we just want to make it very simple, we are not perfect. And look at our kids. We're not perfect parents. But us being imperfect, if I set your kids or your grandkids on your lap and said they are insignificant, now tell them they're insignificant. Could you even muster the words to speak that lie over them? Not for a second. Not for a second. Not if there was a gun held to your head. Could you lie about them to that degree? Because they are significant. And you being imperfect couldn't, couldn't lie over them and, and speak false truths over them about their identity. But you could only speak what is true and what is found in the heart of God for them. And we are not perfect. Now imagine our perfect father. What would he say over you? He would definitely not say you're, in, he would definitely not say you're insignificant but he would speak of your significance because he does not just give any creation a piece of his heart to carry and establish the kingdom of heaven and to be sent out and be called his hands and feet and to be the ones that Jesus created a ministry. And so what does he do is the second he's done with that ministry on when it's his time to be finished with it, he hands it to you and God decides that through us, of all creation on earth, through us, He will make His appeal to the rest of the world. You are significant. And it's important for the people around us to know that they are significant. Because there are so, mon- so many people walking around the world today believing that they are insignificant. And that's just not true. But they won't know it until we believe it. Because I can't give away what I refuse to receive. And if I refuse to receive truth for myself, I can never give it to my children. No matter how good and how hard you try. If you refuse to believe that you are significant, you are significant in the heart of God, they will never see through you that they're significant in the heart of God. Can't do it. Can't do it. We must believe it. We must operate in it. We must say yes to it. The fifth takeaway is that there are mysteries. Some yet to be discovered and some never to be discovered. But we serve a God larger than our ability to comprehend and fully understand. And the real takeaway here is that we can always go deeper and never reach the end of God, never reach the end of His goodness, of His mercy, of His love, of His kindness, of His grace, of His passion, of His joy, of His hope, of His peace, and all these things. We can never reach the end and will never reach the end, and that is a mystery. How we find ourselves here today in this point in time is a mystery. Science does its best to define it. But at the end of the day, it is a mystery. And it is impossible. If you look at the statistics of us, just just us in this room right now, rolling the dice of time and finding ourselves in this moment again, never happen. It would never happen. It's an impossible thing to recreate. That is a mystery. Why the Lord would ordain it. Why we're in it. 
That's mysterious. But it's also not mysterious. But it's at the same time you can see it and you can see your purpose in it. You can see the fullness of it. You can see that God wants to use you. And obviously it's like, okay, I'm not just here by accident. God wants to do amazing and great things. But I can't even begin to comprehend how he picked this day for me to exist in with these people. There's no way. It's a mystery. But thank God it's a mystery because if we could grasp everything about the God we serve, he would not be the God we serve. He would be our peer. He would be our equal. And I am not interested in a God that is my equal because then I can just worship me. I don't want to worship me. I know me pretty well. And I would not be fun to worship. I, I'm terrible. But God, being the God and the size that He is, there are mysteries and a mystery worthy of praise is the God that we serve. And it's exciting to know that there is never an end to the goodness of God, the love, the joy, the kindness, the peace of God, that I can discover things about God today and be blown away and have never heard of it before, never seen it before, and be profoundly blown away. And that that could be the foundation for my children in which they build their life. Like, how can I go, how, can they, how could anybody go higher than what he just showed me? How could anybody go deeper than what he just revealed to me? I can't comprehend anything else. It blew my mind, this one revelation, how can there be any more? But that that would be the ground floor for the next generation. That's mysterious. The depths of God and how deep it continues to go. So, today, the last takeaway to close with this series and to complete the picture of what, do they, what are they left with when they encounter the sons and daughters of God that carry the presence of God. And the sixth and final one is, is a, an easy one and an amazing one. The simple reality and the simple truth that He is here. Matthew 18, 20 says, For where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am among them. And now I would like for us to look at Acts 2. We'll be in Acts 2, verse 1. Now this is when, this is a, an amazing passage, a profound passage. This is when the Holy Spirit enters the picture. Acts 2, verse 1, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now both passages that we just looked at, Matthew eighteen twenty, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am among him. And then Acts 2, verse 1 through 4, the entering of the Holy Spirit into our world. Uh, both passages are in the pursuit of God together. His presence and his, in the pursuit of God together, excuse me, in the pursuit of God together, his presence comes to them. There's, there's not one person pursuing God. Both of these passage, passages we see the pursuit of God as a group. More than one pursuing God. And in that place, they find His presence. His presence, comes, they don't find His presence. His presence comes to them. But they're seeking Him in a group. And so I want us to look at that. We pursue together, and He comes and consumes, as we see in Acts 2 uh, in this passage. Um, 
And we don't, this is important to recognize as well, we don't have to get to him. We just have to want to pursue him and want to find him. And then he will come to us. It's an important thing because there's in every God, through every culture, throughout history, you have to get to where they are. I, uh, I love, um, I love like the Viking era of history. I love it. I, and uh, their, their gods, I mean, we've got superhero movies about, about these gods. Thor and um, all this stuff. I, I, it's fascinating. Totally fascinating to me. And the way they did things, I love it. It's so cool. But it is always about enduring this life to get to where your gods that you worship are. Getting through your days that you could get to them someday. But you cannot get to them here. Only through death can you get to them. But because of Christ and the sacrifice of Christ in life, we can encounter him each and every moment. Not because we have to get to him, but because he has come to us. He has made a way that he can leave heaven and bring heaven to us that we don't have to wait to see him one day in heaven, but we can establish, not even just him bring heaven to us, but we can actually establish the kingdom of heaven now in and through him on this earth right now. So not only does he come to us when we seek him, but he brings all of heaven and then he says, here you go, establish it. Be my hands and be my feet. There is no other God that does this because there's only one God. And everything else is a, uh, a man's uh, architectural interpretation of a God that they would like, their preference of it. But we don't have to get to him. He comes and he is in our midst. Again, when we just want him, we have no preference on how he comes. He comes, and this is really important. The Lord has been bringing me back to this over the last few weeks, that if we have a preference around anything in our pursuit of God, we miss God. If I have a preference on how I would encounter God, how God would do something, we were, just this last Sunday, we were praying for a miracle for a friend. And I was driving out here, and I was just thinking about, I was thinking about that phone call when I say the miracles come. And I'm thinking about the miracle, thinking about how the miracle will be prescribed. And I just see the Lord just say, preference. And he said, do you want me to answer the prayer the way I need to answer it, or do you want me to answer it the way you want me to answer it? Like, oh, dang it, I'm doing it again. I want you to do something miraculous in somebody's life, and I'm praying that you would do it in a specific way that I see fit, that I think would be the best way to do it. I just want it to play out like this. So if you could just tailor your miracle to play out the way I see it going in my head. That would be great. And so we establish our preferences. And when we do that, and we put our preferences around the things we pray for and around our pursuit of God, we end up missing God. Because God being a good father will not honor a prayer that is not authored and existing in his heart first. That is prayer. When we pursue God, Abide in him and ask whatever you wish. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. That doesn't happen because God's a vending machine. That happens because when we remain in him, he puts the desires in our heart to pray for. Because those are the things he wants to do in and through us. 
But if we set preferences around how we pursue God, we miss God. And he came like a wind in Acts 2. But what if they wanted fire? What if he came like a wind and somebody's just like, ugh, shut the window? Or what if they wanted more people in the room? Yeah, I think this is a tiny little room in a place under Roman occupation. They're, they're building everything by hands. They didn't build rooms like this. Those didn't exist. This would be a holy place if it were this size. Like this would be an insanely large building. Their houses were not this. The rooms that they were gathered in were not this. But what if they didn't seek God in the upper room, the legendary and crucial upper room, until they reached a quota of how many people were in there? And then they pursued God. There could not have been many people in that room. But because they just wanted Jesus, their Savior had just left. And he said to seek him, to pursue him, to pray because he was, it was necessary for him to go to his father so that he could send the helper. And he told them and he instructed them to pray. And on the day of Pentecost, um, that he would send that helper. And they pursued and they listened and they said yes. And they began to pray. And they just wanted Jesus. And they, they became, because of this, because they just pursued God, they just wanted him. They said yes to what he had. They just wanted Jesus back. They became the first after Jesus filled with the presence of God. And when I was thinking about this, it kind of blew my mind to really, I, I guess I just said it for the first time out loud and really was recognizing what I was saying because I've read this passage, I've taught on this passage many, many, many times. But these people were the first people filled with the presence of God since Jesus. These were the first people on earth to have the Holy Spirit in dwelling presence after Jesus. No one else had had the Holy Spirit consume them other than Jesus. And now this room of people had the Spirit of God. They were the first since the garden. The first creation since the garden to be reconciled back to God. Whoa. And it was a tiny room full of people. Tiny room full of people, but it was people that pursued his heart and they were the first to be filled with the presence of God. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's temple dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. They became the first children of victory to realize the original design of God's heart for us, His presence indwelling in us. Just wanting to encounter Him. Whatever it looked like led to that. Just wanting to encounter God. Just wanting Jesus. Whatever it looked like. They had no preference. They, didn't, they, they hadn't learned to establish a preference. Jesus kind of worked that out of these disciples by this point because they wanted the Christ to come back in this certain manner and with hell, fire, and brimstone and just destroy the Romans and all this stuff, and he didn't. And so their preferences kind of got kicked out of, out of the park early in their walk with Jesus. So they're left in this room. 
just wanting God and pursuing God with all they had, and this tiny room full of people became the first to experience the presence of God. They were the first to be able to say, God is here. And that's something that Jay will say on the piano. I can feel his presence in this room. What was it like for the people that said that for the first time? I can feel his presence. The presence of God. That's just so profound to me, and the Lord has had me fixated on it. We'll probably see it on a Sunday. It just heads up. I've, had, I've been so fixated on this reality that this small group of people desired the Father's heart. However, it needed, if it needed to come like wind, come like wind. If fire, rain, whatever, come. I just want your heart. And because of that, the Spirit released the presence of God to them. And now we get to operate in that presence. Because of a tiny room of people on the second story of a house, in fear for their life because their Messiah had just hung on a cross and died and then rose, and now he's gone. They're like, now what? There's no one here to protect us. And then, boom, they get the presence of God. And they were the first. And this is something that we have a hard time sometimes saying yes to on a daily basis. And it just blew my mind that if a tiny group of people say yes, they will see and they will be able to say maybe some for the first time that he's, he's here. I can feel his presence. The presence of God is here. And then immediately signs and wonders were done. I think that's important for us to recognize when we just desire God, not the things that he brings, but we just desire to see Jesus. We just desire his heart and to know his heart and for his heart to know us. When we just desire for these things to happen, the very natural response is for manifestation. It's the first, I mean, they sought after him. The spirit of God came. They immediately started speaking in tongues. Then Peter immediately delivered a sermon and Peter you need to remember, was a knucklehead the whole way through all this. It immediately delivers a message that immediately leads to thousands of people becoming saved that immediately starts the church. And then immediately these thousands of people just began to operate in perfect unity. And then we have the book of Acts. And it's just one after another. And not a one time did it say they were pursuing miracles. They were seeking out the sick. They were seeking out the dead. They were pursuing God, and these things found them. They could be walking to the temple, and they could see somebody. As they were walking to the temple, have their eyes fixed on them, be moved to compassion, and go and say, rise up and walk. Because they were pursuing Jesus, not pursuing a miracle. They weren't looking for a lame man. They were looking for Jesus. And what they found was the manifestation of Jesus. So it's just a profound thing to be able to leave someone with a recognition that he is here. Because in the fullness of that, that statement, that he is here, comes the encounter with, I'm significant because the presence of God has just come in my midst. Jesus won absolute victory because the presence of God has just come in my midst. There's nothing that has separated me from him. Nothing is impossible because the presence of God has just come in my midst. And I can say and articulate that he is here and he must be good. He must be good. 
because I'm experiencing his presence right here. This last point carries all the other five. When we can just, when someone could leave having encountered the sons and daughters of God and leave from that encounter saying, I just encountered the presence of God. Everything else comes. They will know that God is good because they would have just encountered it. You can't encounter the presence of God and not encounter his goodness because he is goodness. They would encounter the goodness. They would encounter that nothing is impossible, that Jesus won absolute victory, that they are significant, and that there are mysteries because they can't comprehend how in the middle of this store I just encountered the presence of God. And then they could say with truth and reality that He is here. I, when I was first kind of learning about the Holy Spirit, I went to a conference with my buddy in College Station. Um, it was led by the Jesus Culture group, which came out of Bethel. They're the ones with Kim Walker and all that stuff. I don't know if you guys ever heard of them, but um, and we were we had gone through several days of stuff, and then it was time to go pray for people in a public place. And I I am not one that's like, hey, you need to be out there. I'm not going to get a team of people in a van unless the Lord says to do this, and then take them somewhere and drop them off and say, go pray for people. The, I, I, I just wait on obedience for that. But I also am grateful for them recognizing that these kids need the push. Otherwise, they're going to stay right where they are because this place is going to become comfortable because they're not going to have to do anything with this spirit that they've just encountered. And they took us to a Home Depot of all places in College Station, Texas, a Home Depot where manly men dwell It's not a place you want to go up and ask somebody, can I pray for you? It's intimidating. And of course, me and my friend Chris are on the way over there. And uh, it's like, man, I I see a Harley Davidson hat. And I'm already thinking like, crap, a biker. And I see an orange, a blaze orange shirt, denim shirt with cut off sleeves. And I'm thinking, Oh, man, <laughs> we're not getting an easy one. This is going to be tough. And we get, we get there, and we're walking around, and we see a man who's about 6'6", 340, 350, nearly 400 pounds, big old handlebar mustache, just like Chris, um, but scarier than Chris. Just tattoos, massive arms, big old biker leather boots and denim jeans. And we both looked at each other like, yeah, that's him. Crap. And we go over to him and we just start talking talking to him. We kind of tell him what we're doing and uh, just ask him to, you know, please, we're not trying to make you uncomfortable. We're, We're very uncomfortable. We really don't want to do this. But we just believe the Lord has told us to pray for you. He's like, okay. He's like, is that all right? He's like, yeah, just make it quick. He's like, yes, sir. So we sit there, and we start seeing something with his heart, and we start praying about it and praying about it and, uh, and praying healing for his heart and all these different things and family and specific things. And by the end of that, you got three men, one significantly larger than the other. Just that guy, that mountain of a man, and me and my, two, my, me and my, my friend in the middle of Home Depot and on our knees, in the alley crying because he's sitting there thinking, there's no way these two know these things about me. 
And he just encountered that he is here. And everything else that we've talked about was experienced in the reality of recognizing the presence of God is in our midst. And it's that simple. And not all situations require you to do that. They just require you to be a friendly face. To just instead of pulling up, seeing someone at the pump, and waving to them and walking in, just walk over and talk to them while they're pumping gas. And in that moment, because you just wanted to be kind, you just wanted to love on them for a second. You didn't go over there to pray for them. You didn't go over there to see a miracle. You just wanted to be Jesus to them, kindness to them, that maybe they won't experience kindness the rest of their week, but at least at this moment, at this pump, I can control where they'll experience kindness. And I say they will have kindness in this place, because I'm here, and just talking to them about their day, talking to them about the game or whatever, in that moment, they can encounter the presence of God and they can encounter all the things that come with it because the sons and daughters of God who carry the presence of God showed up and said yes to it because their desire was to see kingdom here on earth. They desired heaven. They desired the heart of God, not miracles. Not, not full auditoriums. They just desired to see Jesus. And they desired to see Jesus in a moment with one person. And in those places, they encounter the presence of God. And in those places, everything else is added unto them when they experience the indwelling presence they were made for. And it's a, an amazing thing. And that's the sixth takeaway, just recognizing that He is here however He is. He's here. However He comes, He's here. And when we pursue him and we pursue his heart together, it's so important that we get that as well. Jesus emphasized the pursuit together because we're made for fellowship. We're not made to just go it alone. Yes, is there time for us to pray in quiet and secret? Yes. To, to not let our left hand know what our right hand is doing? Yes. But he also says to pursue his heart together. Because where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there. Not because they found me, but because I will come to them. And when they gathered in the upper room pursuing God, they didn't get to God. God came to them. When we pursue him together, and when we pursue his heart together, the world will know that he is here. Thanks for listening to this message. For more resources, visit sundownchurch.com.